Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful word that you've given us. You're a wonderful God. Lord Jesus, it's no wonder that you're called the Wonderful Counselor. We thank you, Lord, for all the counsel that's in your word this morning, and do counsel us now from your wonderful word. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 49, verse 16. Okay, please follow along. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse's heel so that his rider shall fall backward. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Out of Asher, his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a hind let loose. He giveth goodly words. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches ran over the wall. The archers sorely grieved him, shot at him, hated him, but his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breast, blessing and of the womb. The blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors. Unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills they shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of him that was separate from his brethren." Okay, now, we're, we're, we're coming around the bend, finally, here, to the last lap in the la- life of Joseph, I mean Jacob. And this is really the, his best lap. This is the, the best one, because he really, in this point, what Jacob is doing is he mounting up to the position of prophet in this point here. I mean, Jacob has led his family in the position of king, the king of his family, he's led them. He has prayed for his family, assuming the position of priest, And now, finally, Jacob is teaching his family what will happen to each one of them, and that's in the position of prophet. And so there are roles that each father of his house should assume in his family. And these are the roles of the father of a family. The father is to be the family king. He is the one who is to lead his family to have loyalty to the Lord Jesus. He is to bring his family to church. He is to have family Bible readings. He is to have prayer times at home. And that's what he does as a family king. He establishes godly patterns or traditions for his family to follow, to follow in the, in the sense of attendance at church, at Bible readings, family prayer times. That's the father's responsibility as the king of his home. But the father is also to be in the family, the family priest. 
That's the father should take that responsibility to, first of all, study the characteristics and the needs of each one in his family. And this is what we see Jacob doing right now in this chapter as Jacob is coming to each one of them. He knows each one very, very well, and that makes what he's saying here highly specific in his predictions that he's making about each one of them. This is what the father does as the family priest to do. He's to study each one in his family well, and so he he is equipped, he is prepared to counsel them. The father, as the family priest, should pray for each one of his family that God would lead each one, that God would protect each one, that God would meet the needs of each one. You know who you see doing this? Job. Job, when he he said, I've got to pray, I've got to pray for my sons. Maybe they cursed God in their hearts, I don't know. But he saw something in his sons that was leading him to come to that that fear, and that drove him to pray. And that's what the family priest should do. The father is a family priest. He should pray for each one of his, his family. That's his responsibility, to personally pray intelligently. That means with study and, and, and observation for each of his individual family members. So the father is to be the family prophet also, and that is he is to teach his family as Jacob is now teaching his family. That's what we see him doing. So the father should teach his family. And God made it very clear. He didn't leave it in the dark as to how you should do this, how the father should do this as the family prophet. He is to teach his family. And he told them all this in the passage that begins with the Shema. It's always amazing to me that the Jewish people, they just quote the introduction you know, which is hero Israel. And they just quote that. But it's the body that comes afterward, which is what they're supposed to hear. And that is Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by thy way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So God told the father that before he did anything by way of teaching, before he even starts to teach his family, he had to make sure that his own heart was right, and that's in Deuteronomy 6, 5, where he says, first of all, Preparation for a teacher. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And these words, Deuteronomy 6, 6, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So before he does any teaching, he's got to make sure he loves the Lord with all of his heart and soul and strength and that God's words are in his heart. That's the first preeminent requirement above everything else. Why? The reason for this is very simple. Children can spot a phony. You know, children can tell if a person really believes or doesn't believe what he's teaching. Children really respond to a parent who is teaching from their heart. And the one thing that both God and children hate is a hypocrite. And so it doesn't matter if a, child, if, if, if a parent, if all he's got in his, his tool chest for what he's going to teach is John 3.16. He's really excited about that. Children will respond to the passion and the enthusiasm of a parent's teaching if it's really in his heart. After God has, first of all, become the, the, the first love in a father's heart, then, then God has all the father's devotion. He's got all of his soul. He's got all of his strength. And then God says, 
what the father should do to be effective in his teaching of the children in Deuteronomy 6-7. He says, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shall talk of them when you sit down, when you walk, when you lie down, when you get up again. So first of all, fathers must be diligent. That means fathers have to give thought about what they're going to teach. They have to they have to look at the needs of their children and craft their teaching around the needs. And so it's and also diligent teaching is is a is a process of teach and monitor, teach and monitor, teach and monitor. That means that to teach and then monitor with each child to make sure they've understood and are grasping it. That's the beauty of homeschooling. Homeschool is beautiful because a parent knows the child like nobody else. And the, ch- the parent who is doing homeschooling can look in the child's eyes and say, do you understand? She can tell immediately, or he, he or she can tell immediately if the child is understanding or not. Doesn't get lost in the group. Anyway, so this is the idea of teaching monitoring. But the teaching that God is talking about is really two types of teaching. One is what we would call teaching of instruction, and that's a direct type. That's a direct type. But the other is an indirect teaching where the father just is, he's talking about what he's learning. He's talking about what he's thinking about all the time. When he gets up, when he lies, when he walks, when he lies down, when he gets up again, teach them diligently. That's the direct teaching in Deuteronomy 6, 7. Talk of them. That's the indirect teaching. When thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Now, this is not easy. This is not easy for most men to do. And that's why fathers need all the encouragement that they can get. And this is where the wives come in. Because it's important for wives to support their husbands, to support and pray for their husbands to responsibly fulfill their roles as the family teachers. I mean, wives need to encourage their husbands, and if the husband goes too long or seems unorganized or is redundant, it's important for the wife not to discourage by criticizing, but just pray that God would help her husband. Now, it's important to realize that each father will have his own way of teaching, and there is no right way. It's unique to each father, and this is what we're looking at here. In this chapter, we can see this uniqueness of Jacob's way of teaching as Jacob has chosen in his particular way to use all these symbols. He's using all these symbols to teach his sons about their character. So in this chapter, what we're seeing Jacob doing here is using these symbols. And so he's using the symbol to teach his sons of boiling water, of a lion, of ships, of a strong donkey, of a snake, of a troop, of a deer, etc., etc. That's how Jacob has chosen to teach his children about who they are. And we can see a distinct pattern in Jacob's teaching his children about themselves because what he continually is doing is he's saying, you are now and therefore you shall in the future become. See, he uses this pattern with his firstborn. You can see it in verse four where he says, Reuben, you are now unstable as water, therefore you shall in the future not excel. He goes on, he uses this pattern with his second and third born with Simeon and Levi in verse five, where he says, Simeon and Levi, you are now instruments of cruelty. You shall in the future be divided and scattered in Israel. 
He uses this in his fourthborn for Judah. You see that in verses 8 and 9. Judah, you are now a lion's cub. You shall in the future have your neck and have your hand in the neck of your enemies. So what all this shows when Jacob's doing this is that with Jacob's, Jacob's son is that, is that Jacob's sons would become or blossom into what they start out to be. And that's an important principle in life. It's an important principle that a person will blossom out to be more of what they are today. I mean, that's just that's the way nature works, too. If the Lord Jesus Christ is now the center of a person's life, then that person will blossom into to become more like the Lord Jesus. On the other hand, if the world and all that the world has to offer is now the center of a person's life, then that person will blossom into become worldly and seek to to build treasures on earth. If video games now are the center of a person's life, then that person will blossom into becoming like some of these video game characters. All right, now, then we saw how Jacob carefully explained the profound significance of the names of the sons, the names of the sons. See, in blessing and telling the sons what was gonna happen to them, Jacob first used their name. He, he says, okay, you know, uh, Reuben, and then, uh, you know, Simeon, and Levi, and so forth. And, and then he described from their name how their, about their characters, how it's developed, and the, what's going to happen to them. For example, he says uh, about Reuben, for Reuben, which means behold the son, it was in verse, verse 3, behold the son, Reuben, behold the son, Reuben, thou art my firstborn. And then Jacob describes how his, as his firstborn, that he had such high hopes, but they all came crashing down as Reuben missed his calling of being the loyal and faithful firstborn. Judah, he says Judah, which means praise in verse eight. And then he says, Jacob says, Judah, your brethren will praise you, taking his name. Dan, which means judge in verse 16. And Jacob says, Dan, you're going to judge your people. Now, that's interesting, because when we consider how significant the names of the sons were, and we see it now in in this chapter, it's amazing to us to remember how each one of those sons got their names. Each of those sons was, was not named by Jacob. Jacob did not name his sons. Each one of his sons was named by his mother's. It, it, with the exception of Benjamin, when Jacob said, that's over the top, and, and Benoni, and then he changed his name to, to, to Benjamin. But when we remember and think back, because it hasn't been that long ago, we think back on the circumstances of how each son got his names, it's just shocking to us. It's a shock. I mean, why? Because they got their names from mothers who were like, they were like a ring of hissing cats <laughs> who were fiercely fighting for the love and the affection of a worn-out Jacob. I mean, and what their names reflected was this cat fight between Leah and Rachel, who were just filled with jealousy and hatred, each trying to pull Jacob to herself so that he could sire more children with her. And the names of the sons were the hissings of the fighting cats 
So on the surface, it seemed as if, as if each of the sons got his name in a totally nonsensical way. It was just totally off the wall. It was a nonsensical, off-the-wall manner in which each of the sons got their names. And that's what's so amazing to us. I mean, how their names could have, could have had such profound, far-reaching meanings when they were given to them in a fight where each wife was using their son's name to fight against the other woman. And, and these are the names that have these deep significance that's being revealed now in this chapter of how their names have charted out the destiny of their lives and what their tribes would, would become. Now, when you think about that, that's so encouraging for us. It's so encouraging for us because we can see how God was working even through the anger and the wrath of those ladies to bring glory and praise to him, which is what is meant in Psalm 7610, Psalm 7610, which says, surely the wrath of man, really we should say the wrath of woman, but anyway, shall praise thee, the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. So here's Leah, here's Rachel, they've got wrath toward each other, and they're using the names to, to really stick it to their opponent. I mean, Leah, you know, with the naming of her son Reuben, which, you know, means behold a son. And so she could use that name to Rachel and she could, she could say, see, see Rachel. Now what do you think of that? Behold a son. I have a son Reuben. Behold a son. You don't have any children. So she gives the name Reuben to express her hatred to Rachel. And then when, when Leah had Simeon, which means hearing, it was so that she could jab at Rachel and say, look at that. Looks like God heard my prayer for children. I got a son, so I named him Simeon, just to jab at Rachel by saying, what's the matter, Rachel? Is God not hearing your prayers? And then, and then when, when, when Leah had Levi, which means joined, it was Leah saying to Rachel, well, now, Rachel, my husband will be joined and attached to me and detached from you, so you better pack your bags, see? So, so, and then when, J, when Rachel's handmaid, Rachel's handmaid, you know, Bilhah had Dan, which means judge, that was Rachel's turn to, to say to Leah, well, now at last, God's going to judge you, Leah, and judge me with children. See? And then when Leah's handmaid, you know, Zilpah had Gad, which means troop, that was again Leah's jab at Rachel and said, well, watch out, Rachel, a troop's coming, a troop of sons going to come, get out of the way or they'll bury you. And when Rachel then had Joseph, which means he shall add, that was Rachel saying to Leah, well, now you move over, Leah, because Joseph is just the start of the children that I'm going to have because God's going to add a lot more that will make your children just insignificant. Pretty happy home, huh? <laughs> and on and on and on, the naming of the sons were. The ladies used the names of those sons to fight against them. They were, that's why I say they were, the names came from hissing cats in a cat fight. Now, those names were the wrath of, 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 of man, the wrath of women, that just as it says in Psalm 76.10, and God used the wrath of those two women to praise him when the, and then when there was too much wrath, when, then God restrained, restrained the remainder of the wrath that wouldn't praise him, as we saw in the case of Benjamin in Genesis 35.10. Genesis 35.10, where it says, It came to pass, as her soul, Rachel's soul, was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, which means son of my sorrows, son of my sorrows, but, he, but his father called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So, okay. Now, that was too much wrath. 
the son of my sorrow, so, so God restrained it. So on the surface, it seemed as though these names of these sons were just nonsensical. And, and, it, and if each son was asked, hey, how did you get your name? You know, that's an interesting name. How did you get your name? You know what the son would say? Uh, please don't ask. <laughs> it's just too painful for me to remember. It, 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 look, it's just my name. I'd rather not tell you how I got my name. And if each, each son had his name about the reason of how they got their name, they would want the reason to be buried and forgotten. It's a terrible remembrance for them. It would have been, it, it, and it would have been buried and forgotten, except that God decided to put it in his eternal word of God. Oy vey. What a place to have a shameful record recorded. But that's just the reason why it is recorded in the eternal word of God, to encourage us, to encourage us when it seems like life doesn't make any sense to us, to encourage us when it seems like life is just like a ping pong game and we're the ping pong ball that's just being banged back and forth for no reason. That's the time to remember how each of these sons got their names and how God made those names to have such a profound and eternal significance. That's what Jacob is pointing out here in this chapter. Now, how those sons got their names, how God used their names, shows that, that it shows us that God does have a plan. God does have a purpose for each one of our lives, and it shows how the experiences that we face in life are important. And, and it shows that God is going to use those, these nonsensical experiences to mold us, to change us, and make us effective instruments in his hands. Okay, now, we saw that all this naming of the sons and having to remember that of the first first seven sons here really took its toll on, on Jacob as he just felt that he was going to die in verse 18. He, th- he thought this is it. You know, it, it, when he came there he, it, to verse 18, it was like, uh, okay, lights out. You know, it was like Jacob gave his Luke 23, 46 uh, sigh, you know, where the Lord Jesus said, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he, this is really what verse 18 is. This is Jacob saying, into thy hands I commit my spirit. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. 
Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, Creation Museum and Tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Grow deeper in God's Word with the Friendship with God King James Version Study Bible prepared by Tom Cantor. This genuine lambskin large print study Bible features the history of Israel, full-color timeline and maps, frequently asked questions about the Jewish Messiah, prophecy and fulfillment study, Hebrew root notations and definitions, the life study of Joseph, and so much more. Order your copy today for only $49.95. That's $49.95. And receive a free personal signed copy by Mr. Tom Cantor, along with your name engraved on the cover. To order your Friendship with God Study Bible, call 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Or visit us at creationbookstore.com. That's creationbookstore.com. 